This is Anne Fremantle introducing another of WNYC's PEN pen portraits. What is PEN? PEN. PEN is an independent world association of writers. The initials PEN stand for poets, playwrights, essayists, editors, novelists, and by implication of the initials for all writers. PEN, PEN, was founded in 1921 in London by John Galsworthy, who became its first international president. American PEN was founded in 1922 with Booth Tarkington as its first president. Among other presidents of American PEN were Robert Frost, Dorothy Thompson, Marcet Schutt, B.J. Schutt, and Leo Nadell. The present president of International PEN is the old novelist, V.S. Pritchett. The present president of American PEN is the young novelist, Jose Kosinski. PEN has over 80 centers in 60 countries of Europe, North and South America, Asia, and Africa. World membership is around 10,000. American PEN, which has its headquarters in New York but draws its members from all over the United States, has 1,500 members. Membership is by invitation of the membership committee extended to published writers of demonstrated accomplishment. What is PEN for and what does PEN do? PEN exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. PEN is a purely literary association working in a practical way on all matters of concern to writers generally. Better protection of literary copyrights, better deals for translators, workshops for beginning writers in underprivileged areas, lectures and receptions for foreign authors coming here. PEN has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons, and PEN members in the <coughs> PEN Charter pledge themselves, quote, to oppose any form of suppression of freedom of expression in the country and the community to which they belong. PEN, therefore, is against all censorship of the written word. Talking with each other today on WNYC radio under the auspices of PEN, P-E-N, are Professor Eric Barnu, Emeritus Professor of Dramatic Art at Columbia University, who helped found and who headed Columbia's field division for many years. After graduating from Princeton, he studied under Max Reinhardt at the University of Vienna before entering radio in 1931. He joined the Columbia Broadcasting System as writer and editor in 1939 and was editor script division for the National Broadcasting Company in 1942-44 and supervisor education unit for the Arms Forces Radio Service in the United States War Department from 1944 to 1945. He won the Gavel Award of the American Bar Association in 1959 with a series of seven films called Decision, the Constitution in Action, and also the Sylvania Television Award. His three-volume history of broadcasting in the United States won the George Polk Award, the Frank Luther Mott Journalism Award, and the Bancroft Prize in American History. His latest book is Documentary, a history of the non-fiction film, and is published by the Oxford University Press. Professor Barnu is going to talk with Peter Davis, whose film, The Selling of the Pentagon, made film history, and whose latest film, made for Columbia Pictures on the Vietnam War, is called Hearts and Minds. It was first shown at the Cannes Festival, where it was a critic's selection, and it is opening currently in Washington. Peter Davis and Eric Barnu will discuss film censorship. Is it getting better or worse? Are they optimists or pessimists? Go ahead, <laughs> Professor Barnum. No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, you must have been going through uh, quite a lot of torture the last 
few months during the litigation on your new film, which I incidentally have seen and admire enormously. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I hasten to say it is litigation and not censorship, and yeah. the litigation is uh, over now, and so the film is opening. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'd like to ask you a question. I've never encountered um, anything that I would describe uh, as censorship, flat-out censorship. I've, I've worked in places where I've had strong disagreements with those who, with whom I was working. But censorship uh, implies something rather more to me, and I wonder if you could describe how Some, you... Something more official? <coughs> well, both either more official or more, uh, uh, more of a brick wall, more uh, something that cannot be moved. You're up against, and they simply will not do... Uh, they will not let you do a film, or if it's a broadcasting station, they will not do a broadcast on this subject. Yes. Uh, you, you cannot uh, do anything on, say, the liquor industry, because the liquor is too heavy an advertiser, or the cigarette industry, because cigarettes... I, I have never seen that, uh, and I've seen uh, documentaries done on most of the subjects that would, in other societies where they have a stricter form of control, um, it would, would, uh, would have been censored in other societies. That doesn't mean I see the broadcast getting done that I would like to yeah. see getting done or done in the ways that I feel they should be, but how does, how does censorship operate in the, uh, the nonfiction film in America? Yeah, you, you're, you're quite right. It's much more subtle than, than, uh, than an official decision somewhere. There are sort of a long list of restraints. And... Uh, uh, the kind of censorship you're talking about. I remember you mentioned that I was in the Armed Forces Radio Service. I can remember that <coughs> when I was in the Pentagon, actually, uh, doing some programs for the Armed Forces Radio Service, I was, I was about to do one program on atomic energy. And uh, that, that was the only program, and all the programs I did went through a particular line of of clearances. Somebody for accuracy, somebody else for international relations. Well, this one for some reason, I was told, you can't do that. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, don't ask me a question. You're not going to, we're not going to do that. You see, we're not going to do anything on that subject. Which one was that? Atomic energy. Ah. I understood a few weeks later why. Professor <laughs> 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 you were very interested in your book, um, in your book uh, documentary, uh, about the Frank Capra being censored in the war and not being allowed to do things. And, and that was a censorship on opinion, rather. Well, now, that was not so much censorship. Frank Capra... Uh, was hired by George Marshall to do those films on why we fight. And uh, as I remember th that uh, he felt, he, he said, I've never done any documentaries, I ought to see some. So he uh, decided he ought to see one that he had heard or read about, which was Leni Riefenstahl's uh, Triumph of the Will. And uh, he found he wasn't allowed to see it. The Pentagon had a print, but he had to get special security clearance to see it. <laughs> and he thought that was absolutely extraordinary. And uh, after he saw it, finally, under a special permission, he thought, my God, this is, this is what I need. If the American soldiers can see this, they'll know why they're fighting. So, uh, as every nation did, they used excerpts, a lot of excerpts from Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will. But then also, he uh, went over to the Russian embassy and decided to get some footage from them. And they said they were getting some footage. And then he was called into... Uh, G2 or whatever it's called, and uh, told he was under arrest. 
and uh, a colonel presented him with a picture of himself standing in front of the Russian embassy. And uh, they said, you have no right to negotiate with a foreign power. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that, uh, see, these are, there was no censorship there. That, but, uh, <laughs> that's grounds for a firing squad during the war. Right, that's right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah well, but that was 30 years ago. And right. what, how would you describe uh, censorship um, as operating today? How, does, how do the networks uh, censor? Uh, films, or how do, how does the government, if it if it does get into this at all, how how do the various organizations that make nonfiction films, um, whether independent or corporate, uh, how do they censor? Well, now let's see. Uh, if you take particular cases, it becomes easier to see. Um, take a take a small subject like, uh, uh, well, I remember an occasion when. Somebody decided to do uh, when the first reports of of the uh, impact of cigarettes on lung cancer came out, and I remember uh, and somebody wanted to do a program in which uh, Dr. Spain, who had been the, doing that research, was going to discuss something with somebody from the tobacco industry, and he was asked to do that, and he was scheduled for it. And then two weeks later, they called him up and said, "We can't do the program because we can't get anybody from the other side to discuss it with you." So here was where the tobacco industry somehow had canceled the report by refusing to appear. Now, but the, many the, reports were done, uh, well, and, and there was a very famous uh, CBS reports done on uh, just this subject. That's why I right. mentioned it when right. I was saying I. Uh, this this I after don't a while didn't it. work, you see, because uh, I mean Morrow, for instance, went ahead with just such a program, although the other side wouldn't. Meanwhile, chain smoking himself. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. that's right. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, but now if you take a bigger episode like the Bay of Pigs invasion, but, but that wasn't censorship. What you just said was a was a slight delay caused by the tobacco industries uh, trying yeah. to quash it. Yeah, I, th I think. Yeah. A, uh, we remember the Coca-Cola people tried to get uh, NBC to cancel their uh, broadcast on the migrants, and NBC went right ahead and did it and lost lots of money. Yeah. Um, from uh, the Coca-Cola people for a while, and then after a while, Coke needed NBC uh, more than uh, they needed their own pride uh, or indignation, and so they came back to NBC. I, and and uh, NBC had refused to censor their broadcast in the first place. So I want to know <coughs> uh, just how, and I don't want to sound like a spokesperson for... for uh, thinking that there is no controls, that there are no controls, yeah. uh, is no control of, of uh, what we get to see. I think there is. Um, there, there are a lot of things operating, like uh, the, the marketplace, a uh, certain lassitude on the part of, uh, of uh, th uh, exhibitors. Uh, to show nonfiction films and a certain lack of interest at times on the part of uh, parts of networks and and other things that I from being inside uh, uh, a network and and other networks uh, besides CBS News where I work the longest yeah. I, I've seen a number of things there that I disagree with but censorship is a very strong word well censorship I think we'd better sort of get down to brass tacks and say what do we mean by censorship well I think any yeah, but some examples well I was going to say don't you think any interference 
that is uh, motivated ideologically might be a good might yeah. be a, a, in other words like a political prisoner is a person yeah. that's held uh, yes. for his beliefs Belief. basically for his beliefs I mean I think so, you have to narrow it down so that, that a film that gets censored uh, would be a film that, that takes a point of view which someone else dislikes not because the film was made poorly yeah. but simply because they will not let that point of view be seen yes, I mean, in their theaters or broadcast content. on their stations yeah. well, okay. well, so number, let's have some examples well, I'll come back yeah. to that in a minute. For a number of years, every passport was stamped not good for travel in uh, North Korea, North uh, Vietnam, uh, China, Albania, Cuba, etc., in East Germany. And uh, anybody who went to those places without permission, his, his, uh, his uh, passport was likely to be taken away from him. And of course, there was, uh, well, there were several cases. There was uh, uh, William Worthy who uh, went to uh, Peking during this period and did some broadcasts over CBS from there. And uh, later on, his, uh, his uh, passport was taken away from him. I don't know whether it was on that occasion or when he went to Cuba. But in any case, that policy this in, in the itself. the 50s, yeah, though. I'm 50, talking yeah. about... Now, what, I, I, here's the why I ask you this question. I am by no means Atmosphere a hostile interviewer. Right. I, I'm not even an interviewer. I... I uh, I feel that the state of documentary art right now could be a great deal higher than it is, that, that there are uh, strong influences against people even getting to see documentaries. I think yeah, there's all right. kinds of things yeah. wrong here. Yeah. But censorship is the word that we started out with, and I'd like to know what are some examples of censorship going on right now? Mm -hmm. How recently means right now at oh, this moment? 1970. Four and well, five. The uh, problem is, if if, there is, if it is, we don't probably don't know about too it. Too soon. I think. Well, what do you know about from 1972? We know, you know, the Watergate is uh, has, uh, it well, happened in 1972. We know an enormous amount about well, there that. Are a number of there are a number of mechanisms uh, that, that that involved in it. First, uh, the, the the customs is one. I mean the customs. Yeah, you you remember that the the films from Cuba were seized. Uh, there were going to be a showing in near Columbia University of a number of films from Cuba, and they were seized by customs. Uh, there was when was this? This was 1972. Before yeah. Memories of Underdevelopment? Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. Now they, but they we see Memories of Underdevelopment yeah, very and freely. Yeah, and the other films, I think, have come in since, in one way or another. We're but, not uh, saying that censorship is permanent. We're merely <coughs> saying that it is an, interfer an ideological interference. Well, it doesn't matter if it only lasts an afternoon. After all, the, the film, The Hearts and Minds, I would have said, I don't know anything about it. In, in it should have been film. released months ago. But it should have yes, been released months yes, ago. Yes, I mean, yes, I, I uh, absolutely agree. It should have, it should have been released uh, at least August six months ago. Yes, but yeah. you're absolutely right in that whatever there is in the way of restraint takes a much more subtle and complicated form here than it does in other places. There are restraints, and it's a whole series of little mechanisms. That, that for instance, uh, from the point of view of, of the independent filmmaker, there is the network policy of uh, generally, except with some exceptions, not accepting documentaries from, from people other than uh, their own their own staff. Well, now you're getting to something I like to talk about, but I wouldn't call that censorship. It, and censorship has well, such ominous efficient. overtones. Uh -huh. uh, I think uh, in terms of Kafka and uh, Germany in the 30s, and this country during the period that you were uh, working for the War Department, 1940, yeah. 
1945, we certainly had outright censorship. Um, people would just stamp no on things. In some ways, I suppose that's healthier than the subtle forms that are going on now. But I think those are the just well, what you talked about. Also, that's also, what we ought to talk about. Uh, of course, on. we also had for many years state film censorship, and I think seven states and about 30 cities where these censor boards, and they were put out of business by litigation. Mostly during by the Supreme 50s. Court uh, right, yeah, rulings, yeah, finally. Uh, start, yes, in the 1950s and 1960s. I think the last of them disappeared in 65. And that, that has, uh, of course, released a tremendous lot of activity. Often, uh, though, uh, this had to, I think we're talking about ideological things or opinions, uh, aren't we, Ms. Fremantle, and, and not uh, the showing of, uh, of uh, sexual functions and activities that, are, that were once well, regarded as lewd. Well, I think the key word is ideological. I think that, um, I think that what I would suggest as a, as a modus vivendi for, for discussing censorship would be ideological restraint. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes things like abortion, for instance, because of the number of Catholics. It probably includes um, certain um, anti-Semitic I mean, anti overtones. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the, the, those are ideological well, but restraints. But we see programs on abortion. Uh, Mr. Barno uh, mentioned the Bay of Pigs. Uh, you remember the NBC did a white paper on the Bay of Pigs, and they did it. Uh, very shortly thereafter, uh, still it was either the beginning of '62 or at the end of 1961, and it was a scathing report on this government, its activities, the Kennedy administration, the Eisenhower administration. Uh, government uh, complained about it, but NBC still mm -hmm. broadcast those things. Uh, um, so, and in, in a country like uh, Russia, or uh, uh, South Vietnam, for instance, you couldn't get near a broadcasting station with anything that criticized the government oh, no, the way no. uh, the way you can. Or even here. France, after all, they didn't um, allow Le Chagrin et la Pitié on the French um, broadcasting. They refused it. The English BBC showed it, and the French broadcasting all refused it. And it was shown here in New York very successfully. It was also yeah. shown in Paris, but in theatre, yeah, which is exactly what happened to uh, war games in, in England, uh, commissioned by the BBC, not shown on the BBC, but allowed to be shown in theatres. Well, but that is, that's what well, I call censorship. I, I mean, call it what you like. Right, but that's, that's England and France. That's not here. I think we're making this country look too good, and I, and <laughs> I by, by challenging the thesis of censorship, I'm probably uh, playing a part in it. I, I think that the serious things that go on, and, and you've been inside networks for a long time, you know, this, the serious things that go on are our self-censorship, really. Sure. People, people start to think while they're doing something that, they that, that uh, it's going to hurt them, that, that uh, they'll never get it past the, well, it's sort of the, the series of editors that sit in judgment on a broadcast before it goes on the air. And even never if they do... Passed by the review board. Yeah. Um, and uh, that it, maybe it'd be more trouble than it's worth. Right, and yeah. even if they do, it won't sell, and then it'll be held against them later for that reason. Well, selling, I don't know anything about, because at CBS, <coughs> you know, uh, which is the place I've had the most experience, they do not wait uh, to have a sponsor before they broadcast their documentaries. Uh, I don't think they do at NBC either. Well, I remember the case of a marvelous uh, film called uh, End of the Trail about the Indians. Uh, and uh, this was sat on the shelf for about two years because uh, because of, they couldn't find a sponsor for it. This is uh, 
This, uh, this was uh, called End of the Yes, Project. I know what you mean, but which, uh, which network? This was on NBC. 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 NBC Special Projects Unit, yeah. Beautiful film, but a, but a horrifying film. Right. Yeah. Can I drag you back to the Bay of uh, I, I mostly do know the CBS News, and well, I know that they broadcast, uh, they broadcast uh, uh, documentaries uh, uh, all the time. Well, I wish they broadcast yeah. them more frequently. I wish there were more documentaries on, on all television networks, but uh, they do broadcast uh, films without sponsorship if they can't get sponsors. Well, what I was getting at about the Bay of Pigs is that somebody came to Murrow and Friendly that's uh, at CBS with uh, information about what was going on in the way of training that business for for the invasion of the bear pigs. Friendly couldn't quite believe it. Morrow did believe it because the the journalist who had brought him the information was one he trusted. But they didn't do anything about it because they felt they, there was no way of handling it. It was being denied in in, in Washington and so on. So. Well, there were a lot of rumors about that, and people didn't quite know how to follow it up, you see. I mean, we had no correspondence in any of the places where, where you could check up on a thing like that. None of the networks had correspondence in, 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 in Guatemala or, or Nicaragua where the training and maneuvers were going on. So what can you do in a case like that? So there was a, an effective censorship because the CIA was, had, had hidden its operation <coughs> very, very what about the landings in Sardinia just now? They, the three that the well, French that's a, broadcast. That's had. a very mystifying thing. You read about that? Yeah. What I about that? Well, I don't know. Uh, you go ahead. You, uh, well, I I only read in Variety or the New York Times or both that uh, that uh, the French uh, had a documentary uh, about American practice maneuvers landing in Sardinia. Three three times. R right. Uh, and this was arranged uh, by the uh, uh, amb embassy in Paris, uh, making fac facilitating the arrangements for a French uh, producer so they could put it on television. But we, nobody here knew anything about this. Now, what, what, was this some design for, for uh, impressing people in, in uh, Europe with uh, our uh, wow. readiness to move into the Near East? What was it? You know, sure. And, yeah. What you, what you I, well, I tell you what I think about that. That is is originated by the government, and here's this is where uh, journalists and documentarians and networks and uh, everyone else who is supposed to be on guard against uh, official deceit and lying. Um, this is where we get taken in, and this is where I think something much worse than censorship goes on. <clears throat> and and these are the mind bending. Uh, practices of the government, uh, which are all too often acquiesced in yeah. by journalists. Uh, by that means uh, print journalists. I mean, it means networks. It means everybody. Um, Some of which you exposed in the selling of the Pentagon. Well, yeah. I tried to. That's a small part of it. You know that that every uh, every government agency. Uh, uh, I have Stone says all all governments are run by liars. Yeah. Uh, uh, whether or not they are in the pra are, are in the act of lying at the moment, they're all certainly run all the time, 24 hours a day, by people who aren't going to tell you anything that they don't want you to hear, by people who want to make up your mind for you. Yeah. And so uh, we had hard sell presidents during the 60s, uh, climaxing in a, the the uh, harshness of Richard Nixon, who came down so firmly on everyone. He he didn't like, and not only lied, but but uh, warped uh, a whole election in order to, and, and the press, much of the press, 
was taken in much of the time. And I think networks uh, during the Agnew onslaught uh, worried a lot about the government and the FCC and what would happen to their uh, virtual franchise. And then uh, we now have a much subtler form of this mind-bending. It's like we're getting different drugs, I think. People complained a lot about kids in the 60s uh, taking uh, trips, but the, the government puts you on a trip that uh, can't be matched by any, uh, I'm sure, uh, by any hallucinogen other than, than these deceits that they practice. And now we have this very soft, rather soft-spoken uh, man, President Ford, that who's described by many journalists as as a uh, you know a, a relief, kind of breath of fresh air, and uh, and by others who who aren't uh, who aren't so favorable to him as just a bore. Well, while we're yawning, this guy is asking for more money to keep the war in Vietnam going on, and he is sneaking it through. There ought to be specials on all three networks about those $300 million and just exactly what those $300 million are going to buy in terms of torture, uh, in terms of our re-involvement uh, in Southeast Asia, which most people think we're out of. This is an well, example of what I morning, find uh, much worse yeah. than censorship. Yeah. The networks this morning, I must say, today was the um, uh, second anniversary of the pe signing of the peace treaty mm -hmm. with Vietnam. <coughs> certainly the 8 o'clock news on CBS made a great... They've all marked it. They've marked they, it they, very they, carefully, I thought. Yeah. Didn't you? Uh, yes. By talking about violations, though. I, oh, I no, mean, by talking uh, about the number of dead and that there yes. has been no peace. Yeah, Absolutely. I didn't mean that. Ah. I meant by, by talking about the number of truce violations yes. on both sides, the body yes. counts are still piling yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and, but, but the effect of all this is that is kind of a hand-wringer. Mm. Uh, oh, God, isn't it awful? It's still going on. I can't do anything about it. Mm. Well, we are doing plenty about it in this country mm. because we are still fueling and funding and mm. forcing the war mm. to continue. Well, do you think it? Do you think there's any hopeful signs, uh, Professor? Uh, well, I I have a great fear that that the television medium, because it depends so much on cameras, is particularly susceptible to this kind of the staging of events and the the administration's ability to direct your attention to this and to make you forget that, to make you yawn about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to yes. take the spotlight off it. It's just enormous, and they only have so many camera crews. They're not very many. And if they can get you busy over here, you don't notice what's going on over there. And, 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 and if you, even if you find out about it, if you haven't got pictures of it, it doesn't get a big play on the network. Things that, what, what it amounts to now, and it's a, it's a terrifying thing, is that things that don't happen visibly on the network, people don't feel that they've really happened. They're sort of abstractions. Yes, that's very interesting, isn't it? I agree. If you don't I, see it, even if it's yeah. the murder of a president, if you don't see it on television, it hasn't happened. Well, I think Professor Barno made a number of very good points right then. It, it, there are diversions created. It's just exactly the way yeah. uh, bank robbers will set off a grenade or a small explosion in one place and draw the police there so that the bank's left unguarded or virtually Yes, unguarded. I think this we're coming to an end, and I think that's a, a very good um, word to end on. The question of unguarded, I think um, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance, and I think that both of you made it very clear that um, freedom is just as much, the freedom from censorship and the freedom of, of uh, documentaries is just as much in jeopardy now as it ever was. Would you agree with that? 
Well, it's always in jeopardy, yes, yes. of course. Yes, yeah. it's jeopardized by, by apathy, most of all. Well, thank you very much indeed, Professor Barnone, and thank you very much, Peter Davis, for being on this and others in this series of pen portraits on WNYC. Professor Barnone's book is documentary, published by the Oxford University Press, and Peter Davis's current film is Hearts and Minds, opening currently in Washington, and um, PEN is most grateful to them for coming and discussing censorship. Is it getting better or worse? with us on WNYC Pen Portraits. Thank you both. Thank you.